First Church Charlotte. everyone, Pastor Nathan here. Hopefully all of our systems will work well um, and we'll be able to proceed uh, together. As you know, technology is always a challenge for us to get this right and to get our levels right. Um, I am having, just so you know, I am not just teaching. I'm also running all of the cameras, the switcher, <laughs> the PowerPoint. And um, if I bring up music at any point, uh, I'll be running the music too. So if you were to see my workstation here, I have, it's like a cockpit and a plane. Um, and I don't mind. Uh, I just worry that I, I don't do a great job because of the distractions of all of that. We are starting tonight a very, very important uh, ministry. Uh, at First Church, we are rolling this out as a method whereby you as an individual can grow in your spiritual health. We call it Celebrate Freedom. The idea is that it's not enough for us to have, how shall we say, a good church service. If the rest of our life is filled with a sort of defeat, a sort of despair, um, anything of that nature. It's not going to be natural for us to really experience. It's not going to be, um, how shall we say, it's not going to be the unfolding, the appropriate unfolding. It's, instead, it's going to be this kind of herky-jerk where when you're at church, you feel great, you do great, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're not at church, you slump back into a type of coping. So you have been set free. We've gotten you out of Egypt, but we haven't gotten Egypt out of you. And instead of experiencing life and life more abundantly, which is the reason why Christ came, what you experience instead is this uh, sense, this emotional whipsaw. I'm doing good. No, I'm not doing good. Um, I'm saved. No, I'm not saved. Uh, I have hope and victory. No, I don't have hope and victory. That is not really the plan of God for any of our lives. We need to see, we need to experience real spiritual uh, freedom. Uh, we're orienting our church around the, 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 if you thought of a table as a place of, a table of ministry, if you'll allow me to say it that way, what would be the four legs on this table of ministry in order for you to arrive at spiritual purpose, for you to experience life and life more abundantly? What would what things in your life need to work out? Well, the first thing, you can't be under the bondage of anything. If you'll notice, uh, I don't have it right now, but if you remember Psalm 61, where the Lord says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, the first section he talks about is really about freedom and healing, freedom and healing, or let me say it differently, deliverance and healing. And then as he continues, the, the second set of uh, statements that are made is about your flourishing, about your testimony. So remove you from bondage, uh, set you free. That's about deliverance and healing. Uh, but when you get to flourishing and testimony, it's give you the um, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, um, the oil of joy for your mourning. This is about flourishing. You have to have both deliverance and healing on one hand, and you also have to have purpose and flourishing. 
If you don't have that, then church will always be a type of event-based coping aid in your life. And that's not enough. It's not enough for you to have a good service and put two, two, two good days of Christianity together and then fall back into a bad habit, a bad memory, something that limits you. You need and I need to experience real spiritual freedom. I need real spiritual deliverance. I know that's a churchified word, but it's absolutely accurate. You and I need to experience real deliverance from anything that has power over us. Our church has a very effective Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry. Happens in person on Monday nights at the church. Anybody you know in need of it, the door is open. We don't want to just pray for you one time and then disappear from your life. We want to do life with you. That is celebrate recovery. It focuses on you getting victory over anything that has a hold on you, any prison you are in. For some, it it may be uh, drugs. We tend to think of that. Uh, but for others, it may be um, alcohol. It might even be something that's killing your health, like like cigarettes. You need help with this. You, uh, We know this from all the studies that have been done in these subjects. And finally, it can be something of the mind, something of the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And it might be that you need deliverance from an addiction to pornography. Whatever has hold over you, you need to be set free from that. And that is really what Celebrate Recovery focuses on, pulling out of the prison those that are, are bound, breaking the chains of those that are, are imprisoned. Um, freedom is about your spiritual wholeness. It is about thinking, really, you think we're thinking spiritually about the brokenness of the human condition. Because if we do not do that, then church is always a great event. I mean, I hope you like the singing. I hope you like the preaching. I hope you laughed at my jokes. I hope you thought that I communicated. You see what I'm saying? Uh, But church cannot simply be an event. It cannot, or we fail, or we fail. We have to pursue the overcoming life that is available in Jesus Christ. So we're going to get started. And the title for this lesson one of this freedom ministry uh, is simply this, emptiness and the unmet need. Emptiness and the unmet need. So everything starts with God, right? Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, that is, of course, how everything begins. And so in our life, that is where we need to begin this story. Everything begins with us being created as a particular type, a particular type of spiritual being. It's not an accident that you are the way you are. It's not an accident that you have certain needs. And it's not an accident that when one need is met, you climb up your Maslow's ladder of needs and it's something else that you need. The wise man said it like this. Um, All the rivers flow into the ocean and the ocean is never full. As if to say this world is never going to be enough for you. If you try to pretend like the things of this life are going to fix you, you are fundamentally missing something about the manner in which God created you and the uniqueness of who you are uh, in God. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden. 
Eden was a paradise created by God for the very first humans, Adam and Eve. And Eden shows us what God intended and what we made of it. So here is the intention. Eden is supposed to be a place of natural perfection and abundance. It's supposed to be free from suffering and death. The Bible describes it as this lush garden with every tree that is pleasing, every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. That's quite a, that's quite a statement. Uh, it continues showing us that there is a river flowing through the Eden, watering through the Garden of Eden, watering the land, providing sustenance for inhabitants. And here is something so profound. God walks with them there. God communes with them there. See God's intention walking with them in this garden, a loving close relationship between God and humanity. There's no shame there. I want you to see that. There's no sin there, not an Eden. There is only innocence, fellowship, and communion with God. This is how God would like it to be. Um, Eden represents the ideal state of coexistence with God. It represents complete communion, harmony with God and harmony with nature, and moreover, peace within oneself. Peace within oneself. That should be enough, right? To know that kind of peace. But let's be honest, this is very, very far from life as we are living it. This is very, very far from the evil that springs from our own experiences, more our own choices. Eden as a place of a spiritual ideal or an image of real spiritual communion between humanity and deity, it exists as an ideal. Um, It can only exist if we are a certain way in our being. But if you change our being, You change what Eden can be. And the result of that, the result of that is if you change our heart, you change the world that holds us. Why does this matter? Because you can't take flawed humanity, put him or her in a perfect world and expect it to be perfect. So we can blame others all we want to. And there are, there's plenty of blame to go around. There's people who have done terrible things to you, to loved ones. Uh, evil has flowed out of them like a, a, a river reeking of sulfur. Evil has flowed out of them. But there is no perfect world that we could be a part of that evil would not also be a part of. This is why the Bible would say things like all have sinned. And this is the reason why a lot of uh, uh, Christian people have been taught to say things like, by the grace of God, that could be me. The point is, there's no telling what I'm capable of. We are it living in a evil, a world filled with evil, filled with rebellion, filled with error. We cannot help ourselves but to hurt one another. We cannot help ourselves but to compete one with another. You put the most innocent of children on the same playground, there will soon be tears and maybe blood. We struggle 
And yet there is something in us that knows, that can see, that can perceive a higher realm, a better way. Uh, notice here that although Eden is not available to us now, we're told about it. Uh, notice that God wanted us to understand it. There's a lot of things from the pre-flood world. We have no idea. We are given these teaching images of the Old Testament. We don't, we don't, we weren't there. We don't exactly know. Um, even in the Garden of Eden, there is as much symbol in it as there is literal. What do I mean by that? Well, there's two different accounts. So which one is literal? One is told as a narrative, a story. The other one is told as a poem. Neither of them can be truly understand in a perfect application as literal because they both, to say this is the literal and would say that one's wrong. In other words, there's in there's communication here from God to us. We are told almost in a parable form. That's whenever, whenever God wants to teach us, whenever Jesus wants to teach us about something that's difficult to understand, he does it through things that are easier for us to understand. Thus, we are given one account of creation as a narrative, a story, almost a parable. We're given another account, chapter three, as, or chapter three would be that. And the first one, chapter one would be the song, the, 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 the psalm. Um, and so, uh, we are shown this ideal, because we will not understand why things feel so wrong in our heart if we don't understand that God didn't intend the world to be this way. In fact, I would say this, rather than blaming God for the way the world is, it would be much more helpful for us to understand that God mourned the world as it is so much that he decided decided to descend to this earth and pay our sin debt because the what we had done with our choices so broke the heart of God that the only thing that made sense was that he would take on flesh and it be broken for us. Once you understand that, you get out of the habit of blaming God, blaming God for evil. So to sum this part up, let me share with you this, uh, the, this truth. Eden's perfections highlights the flaws in our current fallen state. Our memory of Eden should give us hope. And this story, image, uh, biblical account should give us hope that one day all creation could be regained through grace. The image of the garden should remind us that our creator's goal is still redemption and restoration. And by his will, we will one day uh, be together uh, in his presence again. Here's my point. I want all of you to see all the lessons on what is wrong with us is in the Garden of Eden. All the insight into the brokenness of the human heart is right there in uh, the book of Genesis. Let me explain a little further. Um, Adam and Eve are blessed. Yes, they are given all the bounty of the garden. Yes, but they're also free agents. They have to choose to continue in this way or they can reject it. Why does this matter and why is it important? Because God always wanted a love relationship, not a automaton, not a robot. He always wanted to be a choice and love is impossible without a choice. And this is shown most prominently. And I want you, we're gonna come back to this theme again and again. This is shown most prominently by the fact that there is in the Garden of Eden, many trees, but there are two that are of God. 
that there are two that are threaded through with deity that have spiritually significant significant symbolic importance do you see these two trees will not just be insight to the garden of eden it'll be insight to our hearts our way of being and uh living and so uh let's let's consider these two trees one of them is the tree of life and this is the tree if you eat of the, the fruit of that tree you have eternal life. You become like unto God in your being. You become immortal. Uh, and there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, that is where you take judgment knowledge into your own hands and you can choose rather than living as a worshiper. Remember, we were created to live as a worshiper. That is our natural state. You may not choose to worship God, but you'll worship something. You may worship a hobby, a career, the almighty dollar, some celebrity. You're going to worship something. And in absence of anything, you're going to worship yourself. But the problem with worshiping yourself is it, re- it, 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 it rains destruction on the rest of your world. Anyway, let's get back on point here. Two trees that will teach us about do we live a life of self-service where we are the highest being in our world and we judge everyone else, including God. We ask God to serve us rather than us serving God. That's one way we can live. Um, That is to take in your hand the role of judgment as though you took the, the hammer of judgment, so to speak, to have an image in our minds, in your own head. I'll decide for myself. I'll serve myself. I will elevate myself. This is the Lucifer path. This is what Lucifer did. Uh, When Lucifer deceives Eve, he does not ask her to worship him. He simply shows her how to elevate herself, to see God as one who conspires against her, to see God as a competitor, to decide for herself. Follow in my path, Lucifer, uh, invites her. God's just trying to keep you down. And so she eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, this is a teaching image for us. And she convinces her husband, Adam, who was not deceived, to follow in her path. And what you see here is some beautiful threading through of prophecy, mercy, grace, uh, so many beautiful things here. Uh, Adam is not deceived, but he so loves Eve that he would rather die than live without her. This becomes an image prophetically and poetically of Almighty God. He's so in love with you. He's so in love with humanity that even though we are deceived, even though we have fallen, he too will die taking our sins because he would rather die than live without us. Do you see the beauty, the, the, the layer, the layers to the, to the, uh, love story of the gospel. And so they choose and suddenly they change the nature of their being. And they now see that they are, they are, they're naked. They see that they are, um, in some ways, uh, a rebe- uh, rebels. They have done the one thing God asked them not to do to, continue in their relationship. And since they chose this thing, the tree of life, 
is no longer no longer available to them. They cannot cons- partake of that that tree. Now death reigns. Do you see? And so the Lord comes to them not as a judge but as a friend, calling to them. They hide. When he asks them where they are, uh, and finally they come face to face. They tell the Lord as an excuse, we, we were embarrassed, we, we're naked. The Lord doesn't beat them down. He says, who told you you were naked? God already knows. But you see the gentleness of his approach. They're going to be banished from the garden, which contains the tree of life. They now will be reigned by death. We're going to need another tree in order to be a tree of life for them because they are now fallen. The tree of life in the garden has been closed to them. And so now, out of this garden, out of this way, they are taken and they live in a different regime. They live with death as their master. And it's a fallen world. They are fallen. You can't put fallen people in a good world without that world being affected by those fallen people. We are all products, prisoners, and producers of a fallen world. We both produce the fall. We live within the fall. We have to choose, just as they chose that, we have to choose to turn back toward God. Now, let me try to uh, move to sum up here because this story is so beautiful. I could spend a lot of time here. I really, I really, really could. Um, these These two trees represent two paths for humanity, obedience leading to life or disobedience uh, leading to leading to death obedience leading to life versus disobedience leading to death partaking of the tree of knowledge led to sin and separation spiritual banishment the tree of life is that which allows you to live in the realm of god so to speak you are now an inheritor of eternal life you are now no longer under the prison of death hell and the grave you are no longer banished Uh, These two trees represent the profound theme of choice and free will that's granted to us. We can follow God's way or we can follow our own way, leading to a life of spiritual death, spiritual sickness, competition one with another, et cetera, et cetera. This is why, my brothers and sisters, people without God live a life of spiritual emptiness, And they're always aware of an unmet need. They live a life that there's an unmet need to them. God, Adam and Eve took God for granted. They had to discover what life without God was like. I want you guys to see that. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they took being with God for granted. What they had to struggle with was what being with God or without God was like. What is it like to be without God? They discovered fear, emptiness, insecurity, loneliness. That's what they discovered. But here's the surprise. We know what fear, emptiness, insecurity, and loneliness feels like. We know this fallen world. We have to discover, we have to discover what being with God is like. 
they knew what being with God was like. They had to discover fear and emptiness. We know what fear and emptiness feels like. We have to discover what being in God's presence is like. This is why, and I love this passage, David, uh, as a, a beautiful psalmist, worship leader, songist, songwriter, he would he would eventually be a, a king. But of course, he, he says this, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Emptiness is part of the human story. There's no way to get out of it. There's no way to get around it. Emptiness, after you have everything, emptiness is the empty room. After you have all the money, all the fame, all the power, that's what we sell our souls for, money, fame, power. Um, You can put the context different, but it's always some version of that, money, fame, power. When we have that, do we suddenly become whole people of value to ourselves and others? No. Find the people who have money, fame, and power and watch them self-destruct, do you see? The mathematician and philosopher, uh, uh, Blase Pascal, said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the creator made, made known through uh, Jesus. Uh, there's more. Uh, let me give you another quote from a very, very uh, influential philosopher, um, Soren Kierkegaard. The sense of emptiness, of incompleteness, of insufficiency depends upon and arises from the sense of being an unfulfilled relationship in the eternal and the infinite. Do you see? These are deep profound philosophers looking into the abyss of the soul and they're telling you this world um, is not enough. My favorite quote on this issue is from uh, St. Augustine, uh, probably the most influential of the patriarchal uh, theologians or um, the patristic, I should say, theologians. You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I love that. I love that. I love that. You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. How do we choose to live a different life than a life of emptiness and the unending, unmet need? How do we change that? How do we go back to the tree of life? Well, interestingly, The tree of life for us is not available unless someone satisfies the tree of death. If we could solve the problem of the tree of death, we might could discover access to a tree of life. This is the beautiful, prophetic, profound gospel message of on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. This tree of death would interestingly, become a tree of life for all of us. We have to choose Jesus as a way back to life. We have to choose Jesus as a hope beyond this world's hope. We have to repent of our sins and turn our heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches us about repenting of our sins and confessing with our mouths in the manner of speaking 
This is turning back to a tree of life, which we now find in Jesus Christ. Tree of life is no longer in the Garden of Eden, do you see? The tree of life is found in Jesus. John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light, the light of men. The tree of life is no longer in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is now in Jesus Christ. That is why repentance and confession is our spiritual beginning, my brothers and sisters. No longer my way. I turn away from my way. That's repentance. Instead, I turn to Jesus Christ. That's confession. Repentance is away from something. That's me, not my way. Confession is a positive choice of choosing the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, repentance and confession, not my way, his way. My hope is not in me, my knowledge, my best choices. My hope is in Jesus Christ. I turn for myself. I repent of my sins. I confess that my hope is in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, you've missed the beginning. If you've tried to jump past this, uh, you've missed the beginning. This decision must be chosen. It must be chosen. Shout it from the rooftops. Write it on a pad and put it on the refrigerator. It must be chosen. There's two trees in the garden. The teaching symbol is you must choose the tree of life because you trying to figure it out with your knowledge, your ability, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's going to lead you to what you can provide, which is death. You must, in some way, you must choose this way. Uh, We are not programmed. We are not automatons. We are not robots. We must choose Christ and his hope for us. God has no desire to threaten anyone into loving him. Do you see? He has no desire to threaten anyone into uh, serving him. Uh, We must choose. We must choose. Even in the Old Testament, Law was given to educate us, Galatians 3, 20, 24 through 26, not to terrify us. If we only read Old Testament scripture, we'll struggle to understand this. We must uh, read Old Testament scripture through understanding in the New Testament. We must choose. Uh, here is how it comes down to all of us. This is where the rubber meets the road for all of us. As we spend time away from God, We sustain damage to our hearts and our minds. We become spiritually deformed. Pain, suffering, loss, sin, spiritually deform us. Bad experiences produce bad memories. Bad memories produce bad feelings. Bad feelings produce bad decisions, bad actions. And here is the final nail in the coffin. Since we don't know how to heal ourselves, we have to choose to cope. Coping is not healing. Do you see? Coping is not healing. Coping is surviving. And a lot of people can use church to cope. We have an event-based Christianity and we hope they sing a song that we like because we're trying to cope down here. There's not really overcoming life in our hearts. There's Jesus as coping mechanism. 
There's church as coping mechanism. This is not abundant life. This is not overcoming life. This is using church as a crutch. God did not die so you could have a crutch. Remember Jesus at the pool of Siloam? Wilt thou be made whole? You can stay here watching others get their healing or you can stand up. What do you want? Do you want a crutch religion where you just suffer from one event style church to another and there's no overcoming life in your daily Monday through Saturday existence? Come on now. We don't know how to heal. So we cope. We live as the walking wounded. And as sure as God made little apples, sin is perpetuated. What do I mean by that? Hurt people hurt more people. Pain begets pain. Angry people create more angry people. And the beat goes on. And the beat goes on. Tragically, the beat goes on. If we could heal ourselves, we would have done so a long time ago. If we were enough for ourselves, we wouldn't live so empty. But there's this painful insight at the end of all our pleasures is this emptiness. Change the word from pleasure to something else. Call it success, fortune, interests, hobbies, career. At the end of any of it is emptiness. You doubt me? Find the people who have everything you want, everything you lust for. Are they happy or are they coping too? Henry Beecher, Henry Ward Beecher, success is full of promise till one gets it. And then it seems like a nest from which the bird has flown. Frank Lloyd Wright, stunningly talented architect. Many wealthy people are little more than janitors of their own possessions. Helen Keller, many persons have a wrong idea of what constitutes true happiness. It is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. This is the challenge uh, that we all face and we all are living with. Uh, how can we uh, be enough for ourselves? How can we be enough for ourselves? Here's uh, what the book of Genesis would teach us. There's two ways of knowing God, two ways of approaching God. Um, you can try to figure it all out yourself and live life as a critic, live life as a judge, live life as one who decides the relative merit of others. To live your life as someone who likes a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Confucius, a little bit of your favorite modern self-help guru, a little bit of Hollywood theology. I mean, after all, everybody has one or two favorite movies, right? A little bit of your favorite novelist. You have that, fav that book you read that really touched you and you'll decide. You'll decide for yourself. You've decided that what you need to be happy is more money. And so you work and work and work to get more money or I'm bored with this relationship. Let me see the next pretty young thing I can find. And um, that'd make me happy. So you do that. Uh, th th that's not enough. That, that, that's not enough. She turned out to be Cray. And so what else is, what else is next? So, uh, well, then if I just could have a uh, hundred thousand uh, followers on Instagram or YouTube, or if I could be a celebrity and hang out with celebrities, you know, because celebrities really like each other and they support each other. They don't have a dog eat dog community at all. Uh, you can live as the critic. 
you can live as the judge. Both of those allow you to serve yourself. But when you do that, you're stuck in the world you're living in. It's a dog-eat-dog world. It's a crab bucket. Everyone's crawling over everyone to get to the top. But there's nothing at the top. That's one way to live. You worship yourself. The other way shown to us through the genius of the scripture, the story, the insight, the image of the book of Genesis. The second one is, second path to live is obedience leading to life. Cast your cares on Jesus. Confess you can't live a good enough life. Moreover, you don't even know the best choices. You need to be led. You need to repent of your sins. You need to ask, seek, and knock. Religion is not formula. It's relationship with Jesus Christ. It is no longer a path of I'll decide. I'll promote myself. It is a turn away from self in which you say, my best life has to be connected to something more important than myself. My best life has to not just receive, but give. My best life has to be more than some type of a uh, sociopathic self-serve me, me, me obsession. I have to decrease so he might increase. I have to in some way turn away from disobedience unto death and try to attain to obedience leading to life. Partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil leads to sin and separation from God's presence. But Christ's redeeming act on the cross has reopened the path to eternal life for those who trust him. So let me end with this question. Um, who or what in your life is going to feel the emptiness of the unmet need? Who or what is going to feel the emptiness? You can choose to try to feel the emptiness yourself. A lot of people do that. You can, you can strive to be enough for you. Um, you can think that with enough money, let me explain money and power and fame. All of the stuff of this world are all means and not ends. And let me give you this example. If you, if you think of, let's just use money. It's simple. Um, people, let's imagine an artist who his goal or her goal is to paint beautiful pictures and they feel like they will be fulfilled if they could paint beautiful pictures. And so they spend their whole life obsessing over the best tools and the best room with the best light. They spend all their time obsessing over the best tools and the best studio, but they never actually paint anything. Does that make sense? The tool in the studio was never that would, those were just helps. They were never painting. So it is with money. You have all the money in the world, but that that's a, a tool. That's what are you going to do with this money? Do you see? So it is with fame and power. These are empty places. When you get there, you, you're like a, a artist who is obsessing over having all of the available brushes and all of the available palettes and the best light in the most beautiful painting studio, anything except to actually paint a picture. So it is with the emptiness of the human heart and the unmet need that is within us. What or who is going to fulfill the emptiness within? 
a quote from the author uh, Haruki Murakami. Uh, the longer I've lived, the more I've lost what's inside of me and emptied, ended up empty. The longer I've lived, the more I've lost what's inside of me and ended up empty. How about another author, James Frey? I see the damage and pain of hard years. I see the emptiness and desperation of existence without hope. I see a young life that has been too long. What? A, a young life that has been too long? What is going to fill the emptiness in us? We are in the beginning of this Celebrate Freedom course, this Bible study we do together. What is going to fill the emptiness within us? Is it going to be career? Are you going to try to fill your emptiness? That's you building a tree house in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll decide. I know best. Or I can go back to that hill far away and that old rugged cross. And I could say, I was created to have fellowship with you, O Lord. My rebellion creates a terrible reality, an empty existence, and denies me eternal life. I want to do something different than that. I want to change my ways. I want to begin to know you, to serve you, to walk with you. Um, and the change is profound in our lives. Um, I want to contrast the earlier statements that I gave you, these statements here. The longer I've lived, the more I've lost inside of me. And I see the damage and pain of hard years. I see the emptiness and desperation of existence without hope. I see a young life that has been too long. I want to contrast that with this. Number one, God fills our hearts with love. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. God fills our hearts with joy and peace. Psalm 16 and 11, you will fill me with your joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Romans 15, 13, the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. On and on we could go in passages like these. On and on we could, we could read as we have scripture after scripture, as we begin to, um, in a very real way, in a very uh, truthful way, uh, experience what this kind of a life is. Emptiness or life? What is it going to be? Let's Let's uh, read a few more scriptures here just to show you the, the contrast that we have here um, in scripture. God fills our hearts with wisdom and understanding. First Kings 3 and 12, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. God fills our heart with courage. Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and yes wait for the lord uh, how about uh purpose romans 8 28 and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose how about praise 71 and 8 of psalms my mouth is filled with praise declaring your splendor all day 
long. How about, man, we could just go on. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the takeaway from all of this is that God's presence is going to fill our heart. That which separated us from God has been removed. That which has separated us from his presence, his goodness, has been removed. The choice for us is how then uh, do we want to live? How then do we choose to proceed? What is our solution for uh, emptiness? Is money going to be enough for you? Wherever you are, would you just close your eyes right now? Would you bow your heads? Um, what, what's what's enough? What is going to lead us to a uh, a spiritual breakthrough? Uh, what is going to direct our steps and bless us according to the will of God to live a life that is an overcoming life? What's going to be enough? I don't know about you, but uh, it would be very easy for me to think that, how shall I say, I can figure out what would make me happy. I, I think it would be, it's, it's, it's very tempting for me to decide for myself what would fulfill me. In fact, left to my own devices, that's what I will do. I will try to figure out for myself uh, what is enough. I will try to, I will try to answer for myself what is enough. At some point, I come to the end of myself, and I, I think one of the most difficult things for us to admit, at least speaking for myself, is that we come to the end of ourselves, and until we do, we're not really ready to wholly cast our hearts on God. As a parent, I hate that because I, I'd like to think that that my I'd like to think that you know my kids can be it, go straight into a perfect relationship with God. I'd like to think that they don't have to come to the end of themselves. I've seen so many people have a touch from God and then go into the world. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.